Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3 and verse 20 and put your finger there. That's where we're going to be today. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome to the story of Jesus. We are going through the book of Mark chapter by chapter, verse by verse, passage by passage, and we are taking a deep dive into who Jesus really was, getting beyond you know, what other people say that Jesus was and getting down to who he really is. And we're going to be doing this for the rest of this year. We are, it's a real deep dive. And so we're in week 10. You're at the very beginning of this series. And if this is your first time here, I want to invite you to come along. You can go back and watch the other sermons online to catch up at your leisure. But from this point on, come along for this ride. And let me encourage you to have a couple things for the journey. One, if you can pick up a paper Bible, that's really helpful because you can write in it and you can make connections and draw lines between verses and underline things and put notes in the margins. And the other thing that you're going to want is a journal uh, or a notebook, something where you can write down what you're learning along the way. Because if you come along for this ride, I promise you, you're going to discover things about Jesus and about yourself that you didn't know before. And you're not going to want to forget the journey and you're not going to want to forget what you learned. So do that. Come along. Be here next week. And we're just going to go on through the rest of the year. It's going to be a fun journey. It certainly has been up to this point. Last week, last week we saw Jesus picking his inner circle. He, he, he gathered around himself 12 guys that he called the apostles. They were disciples, but he had more than 12 disciples. They were the apostles. And he picked these guys. And in doing so, he upended what the, the typical rabbis did because they always picked the best of the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the most elite students they could find. And Jesus just picks like some fishermen and a tax collector and, and people who, who had been passed over for that track. And in doing so, Jesus taught us that, uh, you know, we're ordinary average people. He didn't teach us that. We just know that. But what he taught us is that we are all eligible to follow him and that all of us can become like him. All of us can be used by him and all of us can follow him. Not perfectly, but there's grace along the way. And Jesus was here for people like you and for people like me. This week, Jesus was up on the mountain last week picking his apostles. This week, he is down in town and he goes into somebody's home. And uh, there's so many people around that he can't even get a meal in, which his mother becomes very worried about. And so she shows up on the scene to, you know, make sure that Jesus gets a meal. And that's where we're going to pick up today in, Ma in Mark chapter 3 and verse 20. And this is what it says. It says, then Jesus entered a house. And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they wanted to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, or it's by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. He said this, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself, 
and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then, then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. I want you to underline that, that line there. People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. This, that's an important, an important verse uh, to, to have underlined and to, to, to know. And then verse 29, it goes on, it says, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. The crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here is my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, before we dive into today's, the point of today's message, this passage raises a question that a lot of people ask about. Over the years, I have had countless conversations about this particular question, and that is, what is that unforgivable sin? What does it mean to blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I've talked to people who have been like concerned that they might have done that and that it was unforgivable and somehow God can't, can't forgive them. And, and it's very, very simple. This is not complicated. Jesus was addressing a very specific situation. See, Jesus was doing everything he was doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. God was at work through him, through his spirit, empowering him to heal and to drive out demons and to do everything else he was doing. And here come the religious leaders who are threatened by Jesus, who don't understand Jesus. And they say, oh, that's by the devil's power that he's doing that. Basically saying the Holy Spirit was the devil. Basically telling people don't follow Jesus because he's not really, he's not the real deal He's, he's empowered by demons. And, uh, and that was the blasphemy that Jesus was talking about. It's basically saying that the work of the Holy Spirit was the work of the devil. And uh, I don't know. I've never done that. I don't really know anybody who has. If you're going around telling people not to, to follow Jesus because he's from the devil, then you might be on dangerous ground. But other than that, you really don't have to go around worrying about this unforgivable sin because it says... All sin and all other slanders are forgivable. God will forgive you. Just don't go around accusing God's work of being from the devil and you're good to go. Okay? Great. Got that out of the way. Now, to our main point for today. We find Jesus in this passage and he is completely misunderstood by his family and by the religious leaders. They don't understand what Jesus is up to. And so their response teaches us some things because there's some times when we don't understand what Jesus is up to. Two weeks ago, Jesus challenged the, the Sabbath traditions of the, the religious leaders, and they didn't understand that at all and couldn't get their minds around him stepping outside their traditions. And, and so they didn't understand what was going on. So now they're coming in and accusing him and trying to take charge of the situation. Last week, um, he upends their whole rabbinic, uh, you know, rabbi-disciple uh, tradition by calling people who didn't deserve to be called or weren't qualified to be called. And, and again, they're, they're trying to, to take charge of what Jesus is doing here, not having a very good 
uh, go at it, but that's what they're trying. This week, we see the teachers of the law uh, accusing Jesus of, of being from the devil and his power being from the devil. And, and we see his family coming to take charge of what's going on because they think he's out of his mind. Now, in both cases, religious leaders and family, neither one understood what God's plan was and what Jesus's plans were. They didn't understand what he was up to in the moment. Right? And, and here's, here's just a, a universal truth. If you follow Jesus for any amount of time, there will be times when his plan makes no sense to you. If you follow Jesus, there will be times where you're looking at what's going on around you and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. God, is it, is it you? And the question is, how do we respond in those moments? How do we respond? Do we trust him and go, okay, you know what you're doing and I'm just going to be faithful and do the next right thing? Or do we take matters into our own hands and try and make it happen the way we think it should happen? Or do we doubt that God is good when life is not? Or do we doubt that God even exists when things don't go the way we want them to? And oftentimes people do. And it will happen. It will happen to you. You're like, no, it won't happen to me. Oh, it'll happen to you. I mean, it happened to Mary. Here's Mary. Jesus's mother, Mary, who was visited by angels, who was told from the mouth of angels that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, uh, got the whole plan on the front end from angelic beings, then had the only virgin birth in the history of the world. Like, that was her. That happened. He was born. She knows who he is. And now she's, she's like, I don't understand this plan. You're not eating. I'm kind of concerned about you. And, and so she comes in to try and take charge of the situation. Happened to Mary. Happened to John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist, the guy who said, I'm the forerunner for the, disciple, or for, for the uh, Messiah. And then when Jesus showed up, said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Declared publicly that Jesus was the Messiah who was to come. But then in Matthew chapter 11, we find, we find John the Baptist in jail. Things aren't going the way that he thought they should go. The plan wasn't unfolding the way he envisioned in his mind. And he sends his disciples to Jesus and, and says, you know, asks Jesus, you know, are, are you sure you're the one or should we be waiting for somebody else? He kind of lost his confidence in the midst of a difficult situation, not understanding what God was up to. Even Peter, you know, Peter who walked on water, Peter who saw Jesus was by his side when he multiplied a box of lunch to feed thousands and thousands of people. Peter, who was right with Jesus when he raised the dead and healed the sick and gave sight to the blind and everything else that Peter witnessed along the way. At, towards the end, when Jesus gathers everybody around, Jesus says, look, here's the plan. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders and they're going to persecute me and they're going to torture me, and then they're going to crucify me. And Peter says, you remember what he says? He says, no, 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 That's, Jesus, you got the plan all wrong. That's never going to happen. That's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Your plans are not God's plans. Peter didn't understand what Jesus was up to. There was a bigger story being written. There was a bigger thing going on and so he tried to jump in and take charge of the situation guys we do the same thing if you follow Jesus there will be times 
when Jesus will do things that you don't understand. And so what I want to do today is I just want to unpack in a real practical way, what do we do when God's plans make no sense to you? What do you do when God's plans make no sense to you? If you brought your uh, journal or notebook today, pull it out. I want you to write that down. What, do, what to do when God's plans make no sense to you? And I'm going to give you five Super practical things. And the first one, they're all remember, all right? So this is just remember stuff. So the first one is this. Remember that he is God and you are not. Remember that he's God and you're not. He's in charge. He has an infinite perspective. You have a very limited perspective. He is all powerful. You're not. You're just not. In Isaiah 55, verse 8. 8 and 9, and this is our memory verse for this week, so I want to encourage you to memorize this verse this week. Take some time and read over it several times. But this is what it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord, or declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't look at our lives from the same vantage point as God. God has the 60,000 foot view. He looks on from heaven. He can see not just from the beginning of your life to the end of your life, but on into eternity. He knows the story. He knows the paths you're supposed to take. He knows how all of it fits together. We can't see past the next 10 minutes. We don't know what happens next. He has got a vantage point to guide us through life that we do not have because he's God. And we're not. Now, we don't like that. We want to be God, or at least we want to be in control. And, um, and this really challenges that control situation. In Proverbs 9, 11, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we understand that God is God and we are not, that he is all-powerful, that he is... Dangerous, but good. When we understand that, it's the beginning of wisdom because we can navigate life in a, a different way. You know, I, I've heard it said that fear there really means reverent awe. Uh, and it does. It means, I mean, when we're dealing with God, we want to be reverent and have awe towards God, absolutely. But the word there in the Hebrew literally means scared to death. Being scared to death of God. Now, not in the way that a, that a, a child would be scared of, a, of an alcoholic parent who's just erratic and out of control. Not that way. He's, he's stable and, and he's good, but he's God. I love the way C.S. Lewis uh, handles this in the book, uh, or the book series Chronicles of Narnia. If you've not read the Chronicles of Narnia, read the Chronicles of Narnia. But somebody asks about the, um, about the, the character that is kind of the, the Christ figure in the story and it's a lion and his name is Aslan and and somebody asks well you know is he safe is it safe to be with a lion and and the response was oh he's a lion you know I mean lions aren't safe he's very dangerous but he's good he's dangerous but he's good fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and remembering that God is God and you are not is super important it means what he says now the second thing to remember when God's plans don't make sense to you, is remember that God's plan is better than your plan. God's plan is better than your plan. All 
always God's plan is better than your plan. Back in the 90s when country music was good, Garth Brooks had a song called um, Unanswered Prayers. And the, the gist of the song was, was he ran into his old girlfriend. He was married and had a family, and he ran into his old girlfriend when they were out, and they had a conversation, and as they walked away, he said, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers, was the, the chorus of the song, because he had prayed that he would marry that girl back in high school, and it didn't work out, and God didn't answer that prayer. But now he's with the woman of his dreams, and God knew where he needed to be and who he needed to be with, because God's plan is better than our plan. <clears throat> I've put it this way in my life. This is a prayer I pray almost every day. And it's just simply, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. I, I've come to a place in my life where I understand, even if, even if I don't understand what's going on in the moment, that God's plan is better than my plan. I want what you want more than I want what I want. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, all your heart. Lean not on what you understand because you don't have the perspective. You can't see it all. And in all your ways, if you surrender it all to him, he'll get you to where you need to be because you can't see the beginning from the end. He can Several years ago when my kids were younger, we were coming back from um, North Carolina and uh, we were coming up, through, coming up through North Carolina and I was using the app Waze. Anybody use Waze? I love Waze. Early on with Waze, it would, it would give you your fastest route and then it would tell you where the road hazards were and more importantly, where the police officers were, which is important to me because I like to drive fast. And so I was cruising up through North Carolina going faster than I should have been. And as I'm uh, coming up, they had added a new feature that I was completely unaware of. So as we got towards Mount, Air Mount Airy, uh, it routed us off the interstate. And I'm like, this thing's broken. What's it doing taking us off the interstate? This is, this is nuts. Uh, it had never done that before. Well, as, as I'm like, I'm staying on the interstate. I remember the conversation with Christy super clearly, like, what's going on with this thing? And so as we approached the exit, I could see just a little bit up ahead, there was a huge traffic jam. And so I got off the exit anyway. And what I figured out was it was rerouting me in real time. It had seen up ahead that there was a traffic jam and took me out of the way and through Mount Airy. And then we got back on the interstate. Actually, it brought us out in Withville. When we got out, out often with... We got out in Withville. I got gas because it's always cheap there. And then we got back on the interstate and we're on 81 cruising west till you get to 77 to come north up in, into West Virginia. And it rerouted us past the 77 turnoff. And I thought, huh, I bet you there's a traffic jam up there because I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm that good. Anyway, so we... Uh, we went past it, but I was kind of not sure, you know, like this was all brand new stuff. So it took us past by maybe 10 miles and then it had us get off on this country road. And then we were on this country road and it turned into a one lane country road. I think we were on a horse trail for a little while. I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere. We lost cell coverage and it still guided us. I'm like, I don't even know if this still works. I hope we come out somewhere. And you know, we came out, it dropped us off at the head of the line of traffic that went back for 
hours towards Withville at the head of the line of traffic, right at that tunnel where you come into West Virginia. And I was like, oh, praise ways. No, I didn't. I said, praise God. No, well, either way. Um, it was amazing. It was amazing. Now, I would have never gone that way. I would have never even known to have go, gone that way. I would have sat in traffic for hours. But, but Waze knew a better way because it was looking at the big picture of what was going on. And in life, God knows what's going on. He knows the big picture. He knows the roadblocks ahead. He knows the traffic, traffic jams you're going to sit in. He knows how to get you to where you need to go. And sometimes you have to go around the mountain to get to where you're going, and God can take you there. But unlike GPS, God, God does not make recommendations. I mean, I could have disobeyed, I, I can disobey God too, but I could have disobeyed my GPS and sat in traffic for hours, right? But God doesn't make recommendations. He's not a cosmic consultant. God only does God. He's in charge. I strongly recommend following his direction. Don't begin to think you're wise. And you're, you, know, you know, being wise in your own eyes leads to dangerous places because you will never know better than him. But it's learning to trust him even when the plan doesn't seem to make sense at the moment. Third thing you need to remember when when God's plan doesn't make sense to you at the time. is remember that sometimes doing the right thing goes wrong. Sometimes doing the right thing goes wrong. Here's what I mean by this. I love telling the story about when I was a kid and my dad and I snuck onto some private property in a private little lake and we were fishing. You guys remember that story? And, uh, and uh, we got caught and the landowner came and kicked us out and said some words that I'd never heard before. And, and uh, we were invited to never come back again and, and all of that. And we went home and my dad felt really, really bad about it. And I don't know if it was like a spiritual conviction or if he just wanted to set a good example for me. But my mom made some homemade bread and he took it back to the guy's house and knocked on the door, not knowing what to expect. And then the guy opened the door and he gave him the bread and they had a conversation and he apologized and the guy invited us all to go fishing again anytime we wanted and we got pictures on the porch and it was great. Actually, we didn't do pictures on the porch. That was before cell phones and all that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so what happened is my dad does the right thing. We're rewarded, right? Wait, like in 15 minutes. It's fantastic. I love when that happens. It's a great story to tell, but sometimes it doesn't go that way, does it? Sometimes we do the right thing and we get spit upon. Sometimes we do the right thing and we end up, we end up having to lose the business deal or pay more money or whatever else in the moment. And we're like, oh God, where are you in that? And I love the story of Joseph in Genesis uh, chapter 37. Joseph continually does the right thing and the wrong thing continues to happen to him. You know, Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt. When he gets there, his, his boss, his owner, his slave master, um, sees something special in Joseph because Joseph is a follower of God and he decided that no matter what happens, he's going to honor God and he's going to do the right thing. And so he continues to do that and he continues to do that. And his, his owner really is, starts to promote him. And at the same time, his owner's wife takes an interest in him and starts to try and seduce him. And he's like, no, I'm not, not doing that. I'm not doing that to, to Potiphar, and I'm not doing that to, uh, to God. That's not, I'm a follower of God. And so he doesn't, and eventually she gets frustrated and accuses him, accuses him of rape. 
and has him thrown in jail to rot for the rest of his life. He does the right thing. He says no, and he ends up in jail with really no parole. There was no getting out. Well, when he gets to jail, he's like, eh, I'm still following God no matter what. And so he's doing the right thing. He's serving. He's using the gifts God give, gave him. He helped interpret some dreams for some people, and that was one of the gifts that God had given him. And he stays faithful to God in jail. And the, 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 when one of the guys who he interpreted a dream for gets out, he's like, don't forget me. Get me out of this place. I don't deserve to be here. And uh, the guy's like, yeah, and then immediately forgets. And Joseph spends years, years rotting in that Egyptian prison. He keeps doing the right thing. He keeps choosing to be faithful to God. And he doesn't even see an end in sight. As far as he knows, he's going to die in that prison. But he continues to do the right thing. And then one day, the Pharaoh calls for him. And the Pharaoh had had a dream that nobody could interpret. But he had heard about this guy that was in the jail. So he has, he has Joseph come up. And Joseph interprets the dream. And the Pharaoh's like, that's brilliant. That's, that's absolutely what this dream was about. Um, and nobody in my court, none of my wise men are that wise. He goes, because you're so wise, I'm going to put you in charge of the project that the dream kind of spawned or spurred. And, and so Joseph ends up being in charge of the nation of Egypt, ultimately. He is second in command only to Pharaoh. And he saves the nation of Egypt. He saves from a famine. He saves his family and the nation of Israel from that famine. Right? I promise you. And he's in charge of the whole, the whole nation. I mean, he's, he's the second most powerful man probably on earth at that point. And I promise you, he didn't see it coming. He wasn't sitting in jail going, well, I'm going to be faithful because I'm going to be in charge one day. He had no idea he was going to. I mean, what a fluke. He had no idea that was coming. But that's what we do, isn't it? We sit there and we try and war game out in our head. Well, if this happened, that happened, God must be up to this. And, and, so, and if we can't figure it out, then we get discouraged and we just give up. And God's like, no, 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 just stay faithful. Stay faithful. He had no idea what God was up to. He just stayed faithful no matter what. I love the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it's a whole passage about the heroes of the faith. And, uh, and, and just person after person and their, 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 their unbelievable world-changing faith. But it's interesting as you read through that list, so many of those people suffered in this life. So many of those people died before the promise that God made to them was ever fulfilled. It was eventually fulfilled. They saw it from the other side of eternity. But they didn't see it in this life. Guys, we live in a microwave society. We, we want to watch, you know, we want to watch Hometown or Fixer Upper. And, and the house had better be done and people better be crying tears of joy by the end because we want it all wrapped up with a bow on it in a half hour. That's the world that we live in. But that's not how life works, is it? It's not how God's plans work. Sometimes we have to wait, which brings me to the fourth thing to remember, and that's this. Remember, God's timeline is often slower than we think it should be. God's timeline is often slower than we think it should be. <clears throat> when my in-laws lived down in North Carolina and we'd get in the car up here to go down to visit, we would get to maybe Charleston, maybe Parkersburg, Charleston, before the, uh, the chorus from the back seat started. You know what chorus I'm talking about? Are we 
there yet? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is, the kids were smaller, you know, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. We're three hours into a 10-hour trip. And it just goes on for the next six hours, seven hours. It's like, you drive me nuts. We do this with God. Hopefully, he's more patient than I am. Um, but it's like, are we there? No, we're not there yet. You know, we read the book of Acts, and can sit down and read the book of Acts in an hour, and we forget that it took 30 years for all of those events to unfold, and we expect all of this to happen right now. We forget that from the time of the last prophet in the Old Testament to John the Baptist, there was 400 years of silence from heaven. And yet, and yet the people of God continued to pursue God, continued to try and be faithful to God. I think I might grow impatient in 400 years. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you too. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this. It says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. God is working on a different timeline than us. And sometimes that timeline goes well beyond our lives. He's looking at, he's looking at eternity, and we're looking at today. And, and he's not slow. He's up to bigger things. And we're just, guys, we all like to think we're the center of the story. Because we've been told that our whole lives. But we're really just part of the story. There's a bigger story that we're a part of. And we get to be a part of God's story in shaping and changing our world and eternity for other people. Abraham, God shows up to Abraham when he's 75 years old. His wife Sarah is 65 years old and says, Abraham, your wife Sarah is going to have a baby, 65 years old impossible right and just to make it a, a little harder God doesn't do anything with that for 25 years so for 25 years Sarah goes Sarah's what 90 years old when when she eventually gets pregnant and has Isaac and um, so God just waited till it was completely impossible because it's only a little bit impossible when you're 65 it's completely impossible when you're 90 and um, and along the way Abraham started to wonder, well, I guess this isn't going to happen and uh, tried to have it or had a child with a uh, with a concubine as a way to kind of help God along. But that wasn't God's plan. Sarah eventually had the child. God answered his promise. It was hundreds of years that the Israelites spent in slavery before they made it to the land that God had promised them. It took way longer and there was some suffering along the way before they got to where he was leading them. Which brings me to the final point, which is this. Remember, ultimately, we win. Remember that ultimately, we win. You know, one of the things we say around here half for years is the best is yet to come. And we say that because, well, one, we're truly optimistic. I believe the best days of the church are ahead of her. I believe that the church is going to see God do amazing things, miraculous things in the days and years ahead. Absolutely. And I want to be a part of that. Now, it might not be the easiest days of the church. 
But I think the best days are yet to come. But the second reason we say that is because sometimes the best is yet to come, but it's not going to be in this life. It's on the other side of eternity, like all those people in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And this is why it is so important that we remember, ultimately we win one way or the other. Whether, whether we get the bow on the house at the end of the episode or not, we still win. And we must always view God's goodness through the lens of the cross and eternity, not our current circumstances. Through the, you know, you can, no matter what happens in this life, you can look at the cross of Christ that God loved the world, that God loved you so much that he sent his only son to be tortured and killed in your place because the payment for your wrongdoings was death. God loves you that much, and God made that kind of sacrifice for you. That is goodness. That is love. And through, through the lens of eternity, I mean, that we spend forever with him. Not our current circumstances, because our current circumstances, guys, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. And in this life you will have trouble. Nobody gets off the planet without a little bit of trouble along the way. Remember that ultimately we win. We win. So I have found that if I can remember these things, not just in my mind, but if I can get them into my heart, it changes the way I go through situations when I don't understand what God is up to. It changes the way I deal with suffering in my life. It changes the way, it changes the way I navigate life in general. So keeping all of this in mind and remembering all of this and getting it into your heart, you will still have moments where you're going to be tempted to take control, when you're going to be tempted to jump in and make things happen. I mean, heck, if, if Mary, if Mary did, if Peter did, John the Baptist, I mean, we're, we're going to, we're going to. And when that happens, I just want to share with you uh, from the, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, something that I think just puts a bow, I'll put a bow on this message, and this is what it says. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Paul is most likely in prison at this point. He is suffering in a variety of ways. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That pretty much sums it up. What are these light and momentary troubles that the Apostle Paul is talking about? You know, Netflix isn't working. No, I don't think that's it. I think it's a little more significant. He talks about them in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 24. He says this. He says, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open ocean. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea 
sea and danger here and danger there and danger everywhere in a box and with a fox and in danger from false believers. Sorry, I, Dr. Seuss, I'm sorry. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. For our light and momentary trials. I don't know about you, but mine don't compare. But they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. At the end of the day, God knows how to get you to where you're going. And what he has for you in the end is eternal glory, eternal life. Everything you're looking for. So, the question is, well, the question is not, what if a time comes when you don't understand what Jesus is up to? The question is, what are you going to do when that time comes? Will you take charge of Jesus? Will you take charge of the situation and try and make whatever your plan is happen? Will you lose faith? Or will you remember that he is God and you're not? That his plan is better than your plan? That sometimes doing the right thing will lead to the wrong circumstances in the short term. We remember that his timeline is often slower than yours. And will you remember that if you hang in there, ultimately, you're going to win. Don't lose heart. Through, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There is a way to live in this life, regardless of what comes whether it's an easy life or a hard life, whether it's a lot of suffering or a little, you can thrive. You can be renewed by the Spirit of God day by day and by the faith you have and placing your hope in Him and not the circumstances that you find yourself in. Now, here's what I know. There are many of us who are control freaks. There are many of us who want to figure out what God is up to in the moment so that we can help him. There are many of us, there are many of us who are dealing with suffering right now or situations that we don't understand and we're asking these questions and maybe you've taken back the reins of your life or maybe you've, you've questioned Jesus or, and, 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 and this message is like, oh, I'm in the wrong place in my, in my heart. And I just want you to remember, God loves you. He forgives you and he invites you to come back to surrender your agenda to his, to say, I want what you want more than I want what I want. And I want to encourage you to take some time today and have that conversation with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that in the, in the big picture, you're in control of all of it and you love us and you're good and you have our best interest in mind, God. Help us to live with an expanded horizon, Lord, not just focused on what we can see in the here and now. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.